Hey, it's Jordan. We'll open up the Chill Factory in about 20 seconds. Wouldn't it be great to start the year with simple, fast, and effective stress and anxiety reducers that you can use for the rest of the year and forever? Well, this is exactly what the self-paced Quick Calm Video Workshop will give you. And at the end of this episode, I'll give you a special discount code so that you and 99 other listeners can get Quick Calm for less. And he ended his story by saying, my name is Jose and I helped save a life. And that to me is the power of story where it just begins with one and it creates a kind of ripple effect. Welcome to The Chill Factory, where we make life happier. I'm Jordan Friedman. Do you ever tell stories to connect with people, to make friends, to get remembered, to do better during an interview or make a bigger impact when you're doing a presentation to feel energized and more alive? Well, my guest today says that you should, and I definitely agree, thanks to a training that I attended many years ago that was led by him and his colleagues. In fact, when I tell my story today of why I became a stress management trainer, I still use skills that I learned during that training. Jerome DeRoy is CEO of Narrative, a company dedicated to helping people tell their stories. Jerome and Narrative have worked with a variety of companies, including Janssen Pharma, Orby Parker, and Cigna, to develop business-centered personal stories for sales, leadership, team building, and onboarding. Jerome also lectures at the Parsons New School of Design in New York City on the art of storytelling. Jerome, welcome to The Chill Factory. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. So, Jerome, what's your story? (laughs) Well, my story really begins when I arrived in New York, uh, in New York City, back in 2002-2003. I had just come from a a pretty, uh, some people would call it uh, a high-powered job (laughs) in uh, banking in Hong Kong after I had completed business school. And uh, while I was working in Hong Kong, uh, I remember one day sitting at my desk and putting in three keywords into my uh, search engine, and, and they were New York, the next one was film, and the next one was business. And then I walked into my boss's office and I said, Lawrence, I quit. And, uh, and he said, well, wh- I don't understand. What are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm not sure, but it's going to be creative and meaningful. And I left. And, and that's how I arrived in New York. And uh, with that sort of intention, I met the founder of the company that I now lead. And his name is Murray Nossel. And at the time, he was a documentary filmmaker, which he still is. And he had created this company that was all about storytelling. Now, I had nothing to do with with that world. Uh, I was just trying to work in film and kind of on the production distribution side, really the business of film. And so when Murray told me about narrative and storytelling and he told me, you know, I think there's real potential in the business world and I wonder if you could help, I kind of scratched my head and I wasn't sure. And then he said, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we've looked into. Maybe you could look into it as well and just tell us what you think. And I said, well, what what do you have? And he said, well, I've got a a shoebox filled with papers. And so he gave me the shoebox and I went home that night. 
opened up the shoebox and looked at all the stuff. And then a week later, I came back with a PowerPoint presentation that said narrative business plan. And now it's 2022 and, uh, and I'm the CEO of narrative. And essentially what I do is I run this business and I facilitate trainings so that people can really express who they are and what they do in a way that's going to engage their audience. And that's a great setup for the next question, which you just started to answer there. Why are our stories important to both know and to communicate to others, whatever our setting or whoever our audiences are? Why is this something that we should think about? Mm. Well, you know, when you, when you think about it, um, storytelling has been around really since the dawn of, of human beings. I mean, even before we could speak, we, you know, there are these cave paintings that date back 30,000, 35,000 years. You can see these scenes that were depicted and they tell a story. And it's really, you can see where there's danger. You can see where you can get food. You can see where there's animals. You know, all of these things were ways that human beings had to deliver essential information. And it wasn't something that at that time people really thought about, uh, but it was, it was just a natural instinct to do it that way. And we haven't lost that natural instinct. So the question why, you know, why storytelling, to me, it really is about why not, because we're sort of going back to what our natural instinct in terms of how we understand the world, how we understand events around us, we tend to tell stories about them because otherwise everything is kind of incoherent and happens in a way that doesn't really make much sense. So stories are our way of making sense of the world. And so for me, it's not that big of a leap to say that in business and in organizations, when you tell stories about something, your message is going to stick more and people are going to remember it more than anything else. And if we narrow down a goal here, if you'll allow me to do this, because this is a show about chill and stress reduction and yes. wellness and health and mental health, how do our stories support our health? And, you know, to broaden that, our our confidence, our moods, uh, things that we carry around with us in our, in our heads all the time. At the very beginning, the way that narrative really started, it wasn't even a company yet. It was just an idea when Murray was working with people who had HIV and AIDS uh, back in the mid-1990s. And this was before the drugs that exist today existed. And so people were dying and it was an epidemic and, uh, and there was a lot of fear and, and a lot of death everywhere. And young people were affected by this. And so one of the things that Murray realized when he was working as a social worker in New York, he worked with a group of people with HIV and AIDS. And um, one of the things that really helped them was telling their story and being witnessed in telling their story. Because many of them, had never really had an opportunity to be heard in that way where they could just tell the story of their life and what happened to them. And it was very therapeutic in the sense that now they felt like they had a voice. And it went from having a voice to then using that voice. 
because then they actually became advocates for better treatment, better care for people with AIDS. And their advocacy was very successful uh, based on the fact that they were using personal stories. So I think there's something that happens in the human mind when we hear somebody else's story. It helps us to understand that person and then it helps us to connect our own experiences to that person. You know, and so it's like you can be completely different people from very different backgrounds, different race, different ethnicity, different country, even different language. But once you hear something of themselves in a story, then you're able to go back into your own experience and say, oh, something similar happened to me. Let me tell you about it. And that feels really good because now you're in a moment of connection. And the aim, I think, of storytelling and certainly you know, even if I work in businesses, especially if I work in businesses, actually, it's really about connection and it's about connecting people. And once you feel connected to someone else's needs, wants, desires, longings, and you're able to see yourself there, I think it, it really has a huge um, healing benefit. It's popped into my head uh, over the past few years where politics is concerned that um, People who are at odds, they're, you know, in one camp or in another, they support one candidate or another candidate, and they're just at each other's throats all the time. I've often thought it would be interesting to get a whole bunch of those people in a room. Nobody knows anyone's political affiliations. And just to start talking a little bit about what you think is really cool or what you think is really beautiful. Oh, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? Um, aren't naval orange is incredible do you love watching sunsets and drinking wine that people would be really excited and bond with each other and like each other around those parts of them and that's part of one's story so you you put it in a really uh, sort of interesting way maybe we should try that sometime yeah you know and, and it's it, i'm glad you you said that because you know, one of the things that was so powerful is that these people who had this diagnosis and had this virus, they did not tell stories about the virus. They told stories about exactly what you just said, the things that they loved uh, doing, the things that, you know, their children, their parents, their work. And what happened as a result of stories like that being told is that it humanized the epidemic. It's humanized this virus. And suddenly the virus recedes in the background of what people are talking about. And now people are talking about, do you remember that person who told the story of their child and they're not going to be able to know who their child will be because they're going to die before you know, they can even remember them? When we just say who we're for and what we're against, it, it, you know, half the room is going to agree with you and the other half is, is not. <laughs> and there's mm -hmm. no dialogue possible when we, when we open that way. Right. It automatically throws up walls. Yeah. Okay. Pop quiz, Jerome. True or false, everyone has a story. A resounding true. <laughs> and, Trick question, of course. <laughs> so how does one go about unearthing identifying, figuring out, choosing between uh, their story or stories and then telling them in various contexts. Is there 
a process? Is there a formula? I realize that this is what narrative does, but maybe if you could give us a, a synopsis of how that works. Sure. Well, you know, it, it all begins with listening. And so the first thing we do with people is, is we just take them through a process of creating a listening environment for themselves, where when you're in front of that blank piece of paper or you're in front of a group or crowd and you're about to speak, you are going to have a bunch of obstacles come up. And many of those obstacles have to do with inner criticisms and judgments and opinions and interpretations. And so we kind of, you know, the first step is to kind of get all of that out and write it all down and then just almost symbolically throw that paper away, like you're throwing those obstacles away or come up with strategies to address some of these obstacles. And then once you've done that, you're, you're thinking about why you need to tell a story and why at this moment try and create some urgency to the story. Uh, you know, maybe it's because you have an interview. Maybe it's because you're, you're going to see your parents after a long time of not seeing them. You know, whatever it might be, whether it's a very personal reason or a professional reason, but find a why for telling a story because that's going to that's gonna indicate the kind of story you might want to tell first. And then once you've got your why, then you think a little bit about your life and your own experiences and which experiences relate the most to that why that you've come up with. And now think about this, the five senses. This is kind of the, the most important tool that we give people. You were talking about a formula. This is definitely part of our method, is that every story should be the answer to the question, what happened? And the what happened gets communicated with the five senses. So you think about what you tasted, what you touched, etc. And, and then you start to write that down or you start to speak that to somebody else. You know, all of these details that you've come up with. And you start to map them out. You literally put out a map, you, like, a, like an arc, or, you know, however you like to, do, to draw maps with a beginning and an end. And you, you think about these moments that you've just thought of, these details that are sensory. And you put those down onto your map and they're like milestones now. And you decide, how much time do I have to tell this story? Is this a good ending for that amount of time? Can I, will I have time to go from my beginning to my end? And then you have to try, you really have to practice this. I, I can't s stress this enough that, that it is like a, like a muscle that you have to practice essentially because we're going back to something that's instinctive and that human beings have been doing for a long time but we've learned so many other ways to speak that kind of get in the way of good storytelling that we really have to practice this. So I always tell people, choose somebody that you know can listen openly to you and try it out and time limit yourself. This is very important because otherwise you, you might go on for a long time. And just also to get a sense of like, what does a five minute story feel like? What does a 10 minute story feel like? So, so that's, that would be my... Uh, my, my uh, advice on how to get started. So after all of these years and working with thousands of all different kinds of people in all different kinds of situations, do any breakthroughs, success stories, ahas come to mind that you want to share that will help the audience understand even more what the power of storytelling can be? Yeah. You know, I was doing a, a training 
for a group of people. It was a healthcare company. I remember this because they, they had these, um, you know, these values, like many organizations do. They have values that they go by and it drives their mission and their vision, etc. But they were noticing that internally these values weren't really gaining any traction and they wanted people to be able to recognize themselves in these values. And so the idea came about that by telling stories, we could not only help people to recognize themselves in them, but, but actually your values would be brought to life because now you would have stories that you'd be able to tell. And so we asked people from you know, the customer um, experience uh, department, people that take calls and usually when you're very angry at someone, you, you make that call to the, to the customer service department. Well, we, these were the people that we, the people who received those calls were the people that we, uh, that we worked with. And there was one guy, uh, and, and his name was, was Jose, and he started out by, by saying that, you know, he helped save a life. And I said, well, tell me more. He had received a call, and he says, you know, it's, it's Mona is on the phone, and her husband, Henry, uh, is refusing to use a machine that he needs to breathe better. It's a sleep apnea um, uh, issue that he has, and it's called a CPAP machine. And Jose tells Mona, well, look, you know, this is included in the insurance plan. Why do you think it is that he doesn't want to take it? And she moves to another room and she says, well, his father died of cancer. And in his dying days, he had a respirator. And I think that Henry thinks that if he gets a machine like that, it'll be the last thing that he does. And he just doesn't want to face that. And so then Jose tells Mona, well, look, I'd love to speak to Henry directly because I have sleep apnea and I use a CPAP machine. And, you know, there are many people who do. And, and I really think I could have a conversation with him. So she puts Henry on the phone and Henry starts to say, oh, well, this better be good because you're taking me away from my football game. And Jose asks, well, who's playing? It's the Packers against the Bears. And Jose says, oh, I'm a Bears fan. What's the score? And Henry says, well, that's a terrible way to start because I'm a Packers fan. And so they get over that hump because Jose tells Henry, well, you're a football fan. I am too. And there was a football Hall of Famer named Reggie White who died from respiratory complications in his 50s. And if he had had a machine like this one, I'm sure that he would have lived much longer. And so they continue on this line of, of thought. And after a while, Henry said, you know, well, you've convinced me and I want to get back to my game. So I'll do this, but I'll do it on one condition. And Jose says, anything, ready for anything. And, and he takes a beat and Henry says, you have to say, go pack go, which is for fans of the Packers, they'll recognize their chant. And so then Jose, who's a Bears fan, says, okay, I'll do it for you. And he says, go pack go. And then they hang up the phone. The reason I'm telling this to you now is because Jose went back to that moment. He was moved by his own story. And he ended his story by saying, my name is Jose and I helped save a life. So that to me really represents the power of story because now there's one person who feels like their voice really matters and can make a difference. It can help save a life. That's how he believes what he's doing is, is important. And then there's all these other thousands of people now within this organization who believe that they can contribute to that same 
uh, kind of culture and make that same kind of difference. And that to me is the power of story where it just begins with one and it creates a kind of ripple effect. And the other thing too, Jerome, sort of implied is that when you were telling that story, when we listened to other people telling stories, it really gets your attention. It is more engaging than just reciting a list of the things you are or the things you do. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's the way we, we connect, really. Um, you know, and if you think of those little details in the story that I told earlier about Jose and Henry and Mona, you know, they have, they have names in these stories. They're watching a football game. They're having a conversation. They're, they're relating to things in their own lives. This is a representation of like, for lack of a better term, real talk. You know, we, we really, this is how we, we communicate and connect in the best possible way, I think. Well, keep telling stories and keep helping people tell their stories. Jerome DeRoy, thank you so much for stopping by the Chill Factory. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this. By the way, did you notice how Jerome answered my questions? In stories, he walks the talk, and you can find out more about him and narrative in the show notes. This episode of The Chill Factory is being recorded about one week after the beginning of the invasion of Ukraine. Now, my upset about what's going on in Ukraine is obviously nothing compared to what Ukrainians and their families around the world are experiencing. But I have found the last week really stressful and anxiety-producing and angering. And also about a week ago, and coincidentally, we posted episode 15 of The Chill Factory, Breaking News Stress. I talked with Karen Friedman, a former TV news reporter, about how to consume the news so that it doesn't consume you. And I found that conversation enormously helpful as we've gone through this stressful week. Another healthy way to cope with challenging current events is to get involved, to help. And we can do that with emails, we can do it by protesting, we can have conversations, and of course we can donate services, goods, and funds. We'd like to help by posting a list in the show notes of organizations that are providing direct support and information to Ukrainians and their families. I know that a lot of us are very frustrated because we want to help Ukrainians and their families, but we're not sure what to do. So I encourage you to think creatively, talk with your friends, talk with your family about what's possible, and maybe some of the resources and the initiatives that I just mentioned will inspire and motivate you. Remember, helping helps reduce stress. Okay, here's the special discount code I promised you for the self-paced quick calm video workshop, which will teach you 10 data-driven stress and anxiety reduction techniques, including quick calm, which is the most popular technique I teach. Just go to quickcalm.net to learn more about the workshop and use the discount code STORIES. 
It's quitting time for this episode of The Chill Factory. I'm Jordan Friedman. Thanks so much for listening. We have more resources at thechillfactory.net, and you can leave a voice comment or question there. Just look for the blue tab on the right side of any site page. Be sure to subscribe or follow The Chill Factory so you'll know when new episodes are available. And if you liked something you heard on this or any episode, we'd love it if you rated or reviewed The Chill Factory wherever you get your podcasts. And as John Lennon said, peace is not something you wish for. It's something you make, something you do, something you are, and something you give away.